you're listening to A Pastor in His Newspaper with Dr. Castro, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hand. I am Dr. Hesh, and I am joined by a future doctor, John Andrew Clayton, who is a pastor here at Central and a soccer fan. That's right. And who's your, who is the, who is your, obviously you're an American, so you were rooting for the U.S., but as someone with mission backgrounds, you also root for the country that you spent some time with. So who are you rooting for? Uh, this is not a popular opinion, but I was not rooting for the United States. <laughs> and I think primarily because I just am not a fan of their soccer style. Ooh. But, uh, which has I, no style, or, right? Which is, or has too many styles. Right. There you go. Uh, I was, I'm really rooting for Argentina to win. I think that's, what oh. I, well, I know that is exactly what I want to see. Happen. So are you a Messi fan? Yes. He's never won a world cup. He's not. And it's kind of one of the things that prevents him from being greatest ever. No. In some people's minds. Okay. Not mine. Okay. So there's other things. But one of the big ones is he's never won a World Cup. Yeah. And Pele won more than one? I think two. Two. So, but there's a lot of players who haven't won World Cups. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo has not won one. I'm talking, I guess, if I know soccer since I'm mentioning these names. But that's about <laughs> as far as my knowledge goes. Um, so we're going to talk about the World Cup. That's why Pastor John Andrew is here. He is going to help give us a little bit of on the field, but he's a fan of the, of the whole sporting event. And I am at best a casual uh, watcher of the world cup. And, but there's some other issues. Actually, there's several issues going on with this particular world cup. And um, obviously we're getting kind of excited about the world cup coming up in four years, which will be in the United States. Um, do you have plans to go to any of the matches? I mean, oh, I hope I can and, swing that. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd be good. It's, yeah. Um, I don't know. Are there, were, are there any playing in Atlanta? Like, are there any, know, any games close to us? I don't know. It's really spread throughout all of North America. So, Mexico, Canada, and the United States. So, really, North America is getting right. the World Cup. That's going to be huge. Especially with the U.S. having so many major cities that people come to. And if they're spread out in all these different cities, you get a lot of people around the world that will. Maybe be their first World Cup they've ever gone to. Um, so, want to talk about some things that are going on with the World Cup. First off, let's just kind of dive into the history of this particular World Cup, and then we'll get into some on the field stuff as well. But that's really, you know, the on the field play. They're in the the knockout round, uh, so that's the sixteen because uh, they start off with thirty two. Correct. Mm-hmm. Look at me, I'm doing well already. Yeah. Um, and now they're in the the final sixteen, right? Eight. Final eight. Final so eight. they're already into They're the eight. Finals. So the last few last games were like what last night? Yes. Portugal, Switzerland, and some of those games were very like uh, not close at all because in Brazil won like four to one. U.S. I mean, Netherlands beat U.S. three to one. The games haven't been very close. Yeah, some of them have. Some went to penalties, but then yeah, yesterday yesterday game with Portugal, they won six to one. Six to pretty one. lopsided. So who? Before we dive into some of these issues, who do you think is going to win? I know you Argentina is the team you. Th- you want to win. Do you think they will win the World Cup? I think Argentina, Brazil, France, and England all have good chances at winning. Argentina would face Brazil mm. in the semifinal if oh, both wow. of them win their quarterfinal mm. games. And France would make it to the semifinal if they beat England. But that'll be a tough matchup. That will be so tough. We'll see. I, I think any of those four uh, could win. But it's the World Cup. Anything can happen. Right. So I mean, we'll Croatia see. made the finals last in 2018. And Croatia's they're pretty good, but um, did they, they even qualify this year? They did. They're, so okay. Croatia are in the 
uh, quarterfinals. Oh, are they really? Yeah, they're going to yeah, play. As you can tell, I've not watched any of the games. I'm just and Ger- the big the big surprise was Germany did not make the knockout run. I mean, Germany is a and Italy didn't even make the World, the World Cup, Cup at all. Um, but the France, who won last in, in in Russia, is back. They they are they so they're in the final eight. Yes, as well. Um, and so, but then also Spain, Spain's a, is, you know, there was one year where they won what the world cup Euro world cup and Euro. I mean, when I was in living in Sweden, um, we watched a lot of Euro soccer and they won the, the European cup, uh, that particular year. I think that was 2009, 2008, 2008, yeah, 2008. Um, maybe nine. I can't remember. It was one of those years. It was kind of an, it was kind of a mix there, but, um, uh, let's, um, kind of, uh, and this is a very popular sporting event. I mean, I'm going to get into some, some numbers. Actually, I'll just go there now, but there's more than, so in 2018, uh, the finals, which was France versus Croatia, correct? In 2018, that was in Russia. Over a billion people watched the finals. Did you know one, that? One seventh of the world. One seventh that of the world. insane. Interesting enough, they're expecting that, that those who actually watched the world cup itself in 2018 was over 3 billion. Wow. Which is close to half of the world's population watched the 2018 World Cup. And they're expecting that there'll be more that watch the Qatari World Cup. And there'll probably be more after that who watch the American World Cup, mostly because the sport gets more popular, right? It's more popular in certain places of the world. And as more places become more wealthier, they actually have access to televisions. They can actually watch watch the matches. So we're talking about the biggest global event other than the Olympics. I think the Olympics is actually watched by more people. The Summer Olympics. I don't know if you knew that, but but the World Cup is one of the few large kind of unified gathering of the world in a positive way is, is, is soccer in the World Cup. So uh, that's kind of what, what we're talking about here. I mean, we were talking about the biggest event, far bigger than the, the Super Bowl um, and far bigger than anything else that happens is the World Cup. So that's why this is an important topic and hence why I want to talk about it. And I would like to talk about someone who has a heart for missions, who's our missions pastor. What are the missional implications of the World Cup? Like, what are those things? I don't, I want to get to those, but um, first off, let's just have a conversation about some of the, some of the negative things that have surrounded this particular world cup. Now the first one is how they even got the world cup. And so uh, you, I don't know if you're, are you dialed into when they kind of give out who were, who was rewarded or awarded the world cup? Like, are you somewhat familiar with the process uh, how they give out the World Cup to certain countries? Yeah, familiar with the process, but I'm not tuning in to watch who gets it. Okay, but I remember in 2010 when Qatar, when their name was pulled. That's how big of a deal it was in the soccer world, even back then, 12 years ago. So how? What was? I mean, so I'm a big college football fan, and so there's reactions. Like me and Derek McFarland will talk about certain college football things. So what was the reaction? in the kind of soccer world when it was announced that Qatar, the smallest country to ever host the world cup got, and the only kind the first middle Eastern country, right. That's ever gotten the world cup. What was the reaction when they got it? Uh, like a collective gasp, like a global gasp as people realize this is our suspicions of corruption being proven before the eyes of all. Right. It's not a, not a footballing nation hasn't been interested in the world of soccer. Uh, and so people were suspicious from the outset at their desires to even host it. 
and uh, you know, you even see some of that play out in some of the subsequent news reports where you see Qatar in the World Cup. Why? Not because they qualified. Right. You have teams like Italy who did not qualify, Colombia who did right. not qualify, right? Who would smack Qatar? And Costa Rica did they qualify? They did. Okay, they did. didn't do so hot. They, they lost so hot. seven okay. to one in their first game to Spain. Mm. But uh, the uh, they're the first ever host nation uh, to be booted as the first team out of the knockout stages. <laughs> oh, wow. And so it was almost like a, uh, you know, a cry of that's what you get. <laughs> so you have a country, hence the reason why there was a gasp. You have not a lot of history with soccer. Uh, number two, a very small country. Number three, doesn't have the infrastructure. Like they don't have the stadiums, but like say the United States or England or something like that would have. Um, number, number three is the big one is weather. This is a summer event. Typically, the World Cup is, what, June, July? Yeah, June. Within the, those months. Uh, Qatar is not a great place to be in Very those hot. months, nor is it a great place to play soccer, nor is it probably a good place to watch soccer. So that would probably be one of the other reasons why there was a little bit of a major surprise, and therefore anyone in their right mind would never reward the World Cup to a nation based off those three factors alone. Um, and also, I mean, there's some there's some issues with a Middle Eastern country. You're talking about, um, you know, human rights issues. And we'll get into the migrant worker issue in a second. But uh, also just like, I mean, like homosexuality, which you know, we're Christians. We think it believe it's a sin. Nor do, we don't believe that people should be killed for it. They do. <laughs> so they there's some, some there's other factors that you're like, I wonder why FIFA would allow Qatar to have the, the World Cup. That's a, those are good questions. I think those are the questions that everybody else was asking too. And you even saw that in the lead up to the group stage where the news was coming out that teams like England, for example, were going to wear the captain armbands with the rainbow flag in support of LGBTQ plus rights, which were an obvious point of disagreement between the country and the religion of Qatar, which is Islam. And, uh, you know, of course, FIFA had to come down pretty hard and say, no, if you wear these, we're going to give you yellow cards and kick you out of the game. So they took their armbands off. But, uh, you know, even in the the rules that were sent out for those in attendance at the matches, uh, there are regulations concerning the type of clothing you can wear. Mm -hmm. So a woman could not wear uh, what was deemed revealing clothing as a uh, conservative Muslim nation. Like one of the most, one of the more, more conservative Muslim nations in the Gulf states. Which says a lot. <laughs> says a lot. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know if you've seen the news articles even of the Croatian lady. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? The Croatian lady. So a lady at the at the Croatia match who came walking down the aisle in the stadium uh, in very revealing clothing, and now that's become a big point of concern for the Qatari officials because that's a blatant disregard for the rules that they established. Right. But for the rest of the world who does not hold to their standard. <laughs> Even Budweiser. Budweiser sent, I don't know how many, I, I remember hearing a number, but I can't call it off the top of my head, but Budweiser sent over so many units of alcohol only to be told later, you cannot sell this here. Right. That was going to get to that. So they were, so basically that was part of the agreement that they were going to sell alcohol right. at the matches. But then like, I think within like what, a few weeks before it started, it was close. I was reading. It was close within like a month or so of when it it kicked off. They said no alcohol will be sold 
Which is and the alcohol a, was already there. Yeah, and they already all, shipped it over. There's, yeah, so there's one of the selling it, but then also sponsorship. Right. Like there's just so much that oh, you had contracts, you had people who were basically making uh, like future like profit projections based off this again massive global billion plus people sporting event, and now they can't sell it nor market it. Oh no. So there's, that was a big, like, how is that going to work with, um, and actually there's an article that I want to kind of look at here by, um, I'm not sure how much you know about, uh, A.S. Abraham. He's a professor at Southern seminary. Uh, he, he, um, teaches on, uh, Islam at Southern. Well, he wrote an article about the world cup, um, and the kind of the, um, schizophrenia of Qatar, because you have a country that's wanting to host the world cup, basically inviting the whole world to come to their country and show that they're a modern progressive society. While at the same time, they're one of the more restrictive Muslim nations in the Gulf state. And they have a strict anti alcohol, uh, like, you know, laws, but yet they were going to, they were going to sell it. Like it was just so much. They also are going to have like some radical Islamic speaker speak, uh, as like an evangelism type, like a like a like a like a sermon. Well, at the same time, Nikki Maj- Maj- the Nikki um, the Minaj was gonna perform, <laughs> like at the same event. Like they're just like they're out of their minds. They don't like they want to be like consistent here while also being like connected to this global world. It and does it's not work. It does not working. Um, and so there's just these weird these weird situations that have happened. Um, the one you just mentioned with with the woman and, you, and then also the alcohol as well. Yeah, November the 18th is when uh, FIFA said that alcohol would not be sold at the stadium. That's very last minute. I mean, that's I don't know when it started, but it started around Thanksgiving, right? Right. Um, so there's there's that. Um, and so there's that going on. Um, also, I wanted to also get into this a little bit as well, because, um, you know, why would a country want to host the World Cup? Um, so I saw that again, like we started with, I mentioned they had no stadiums. They basically had to build a city because of the they had to actually I don't in 2015 FIFA made the decision or told Qatar that they that the, the game, the, the cup was going to be moved to November, December. Right. It was going to be in the summer from 2010 to then 2015, they're like, Hey, we're going to change it because it's just too hot to do a soccer, to do soccer matches here, which the problem with like, you know, the U S market is that's still football season. But the other issue you would probably know this well, is that the European teams are supposed to be playing soccer, Mm -hmm. not being in the world cup. So it really messes up. The major leagues, the top five leagues, they're in the middle of their season. So it really had to, uh, I mean, it really, put a kink in their schedule because right. they had to pause everything. And you're talking, you know, th- matches that take place on a weekly basis throughout Europe uh, that also pull a large amount of viewership and a large amount of endorsement money mm-hmm. um, through, you know, all the leagues that are that are even aiming at participation in the Champions League. Yeah, exactly. So you've got you got like the British British Premier League and you've got Germany has their league, Spain has their league, Italy's got their league. You've got the France. And France has got its league. But then they also have the Champion League teams, which are the better teams of those particular leagues playing against each other. Right. And all of that's been put on halt. And and while the, they can have a World Cup in a time when they never have the World Cup, they usually have it in the summer. So there's there's that factor, but so Qatar had to spend, I guess they, they actually are reportedly have spent $300 billion in 12 years to prepare for this world cup. 
and uh, fascinating. You would find this That's interesting. unfathomable. It's uh, yeah. So interesting enough is that only one, only one World Cup since the '60s has actually profited or made that the country's actually made money. So like, um, uh, I was looking at this, and actually the only one who did was Russia. They made like basically four percent on their investment. <laughs> That's and it. They, they spent probably eleven billion somewhere around there. Yeah, the so three hundred right? billion. So you're talking, yeah. <laughs> that they're not going to get back. No. Um, and uh, so that's a lot of money spent. So like, why even like do the World Cup at all? That's a good good question. I, if I'm if I'm interested, like, why does in Qatar want like it? a party at my house? <laughs> or or let's say like I'm just really interested in inviting people over to see my life. And so I say, hey, why don't you come over to my house? We can, you know, we can play games. We can have dinner. We can do all this stuff. And uh, I say, okay, when? Well, give me, give me a year and a half. Let me build a house. And then when it's done, I can bring you over and we'll have fun. Because they ended up building, they were planning on building, what, 10 stadiums? But they ended up scaling that back. But they ended up, Seven. well, they had to build, in Whole addition city. to the stadiums, they had to build Lucille, mm-hmm. an entire city, but then also the uh, redo the entire infrastructure, the the roadways, the hotels, build the, the hotels that would be able to house not just the players, the teams, but also the people who were going to come and watch. And so you're, I mean, it, it makes sense really quickly once you start thinking about those factors, how they could spend three hundred billion in twelve years. They built a new like train system to take you from the city center or the airport to. Where the and all the matches, this is fascinating, is that the match all the stadiums were near each other. They were like very close. So you really didn't have to go like when they did the World Cup in Brazil. I mean, you're in multiple cities across the whole country that they're doing the right. World Cup in. Here they literally did it all in one city that they built. They built all these sixty thousand plus, maybe forty thousand plus stadiums. Some of these stadiums they said that they are they built them in a way they can deconstruct them. And actually, <laughs> this is interesting to give them to other countries who don't have stadiums. One was built purely out of recycle. Like um, they wow. used uh, shipping containers. They literally built a stadium. So like, that's very creative. One looks like a Bedouin tent, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Uh, so they built all of these. But then after they're done with the, the cup, what the stadiums have no purpose, right? Because it's, it's not like they have like a 10 team, like, uh, like, um, I guess they could start one. I guess yeah. they could start one now. They only, I did read that's only 12% of the people who live in Qatar are actually f- Qatarin or actually from the, most of them are migrant workers that come into the country to work. Um, but same, similar with Singapore and some other cities like that. Um, but yeah, why, why does a, a nation like Qatar even want the world cup at all? And so there's a part of wanting to be seen as a kind of a major player in the world um, and the prestige of hosting such a massive event um, and showcasing your country and, you, and the kind of the, infl- the, the, uh, the your culture and, and, and who you are as a nation. This is not a very, I mean, it's a, it was just a desert. Now it's this massive city that and all their money has come from oil money. Um, and so, but also all the negative attention they've gotten by therefore hosting the World Cup, um, that they wouldn't have all this negative media if they weren't doing the World Cup, and they're not going to make that much money off it anyways. So it's interesting why a nation like Qatar would even want it. Um, but so let me let me ask you this: We've been talking a little bit about migrant workers has been the major negative um, kind of topic. Um, most, if not all, of these stadiums were built by. 
the workers from outside the country. Mention a few. Of, I know you know a few of them. India, Nagali, Bengali, Bangladesh. Yep. Um, Those Pakistan. are the three major ones. Yeah, Pakistanis. A lot of from the you know kind of uh, the Southern Asian uh, former part of the British Empire in India. Um, all these nations. Uh, I, I've read a little. I'm not know how far how much you've read on this issue, but they would have to basically pay. And a recruiting fee, like fifteen hundred, two thousand bucks, but out of a loan that they had to get get the money loaned to them, then pay a, a recruiter, and then they would go work with the expectation that they were going to make like nine thousand, ten thousand, doubled what they could make in their own country. But what ended up happening? There's been some reports is that they haven't made half of what they were promised, and they've gone into massive debt. Their whole family has gone into massive debt trying to pay their their feedback, which with high interest, like we're talking like 20 plus percent interest on this loan, just so they can go and work uh, and be away from their family for multiple years uh, to build this stadium. Now there's been some different reports. How many have died now? What, which ones have you read? There's been kind of conflicting reports on how many have died. Micro workers have died uh, building these stadiums. Well, I know there's the guardian report that estimates somewhere around 6,000, 6,500, somewhere in there. Uh, but there are other reports, Qatari official reports, that have assessed the death toll at somewhere around 400 to 500. I think in all actuality, who knows at this point how many people have actually died as a result of the working conditions there or as a result of you know accidents on the job or things like that. You, know, you have poor... Um, workers coming over. A lot of them don't have the skills to be able to building massive construction um, um, infrastructures. Like you're talking stadiums and things like this. They come over. So then, you know, in a lot of these countries, and we've mentioned they'll have the labor laws that like the West does like the United States or, or Canada does, but also they're working under extreme temperatures. I mean, they're building these in very hot weather, up to 125 degrees. Um, you have very, there's been reports, very little water on work sites. Um, and also like, so they've had these monitoring system, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you kind of make it look good when the monitor comes. And when the monitor goes away, you go back to what is, what is normal, which is unsafe working conditions for workers. I've, I've watched videos of, of, where they've kept workers, where they've lived, have been very, they've gotten rotten food, um, very poor living conditions, no showering, nowhere to to bathe themselves after working in in very uh, very um, high temperature conditions, um, and so it's hard to distinguish. Like, okay, maybe they didn't fall from a a crane, but did they die from heat exhaustion? Like, where do you where do you indicate like someone died because of their work conditions, and therefore it's a the World Cup infrastructure building is actually what calls this migrant worker to, right. to die. I have, I, I have to think that you you include them. Yeah, you include those circumstances because it's a direct result of of the project that you're there working on. That uh, you know you, you and even think about this like the these conditions are all set against the backdrop of the promise of a good payoff at the end of the day. Yeah, which has not come to fruition mm-hmm. and so you know you even for us it's one thing in the west you can think of sacrificing for the short term for the long-term payout right but for 
people around the world in whether it's Bangladesh, whether it's India, Pakistan, Nepal, where they're day workers, meaning the work that you do for the day is not meant to build into your 401k. What you're trying to do is to get your money for that day's food, right. for your basic essentials to live. So to put off a day's work at home where you live around your family in order for the long-term payout, that's a much more difficult thing to do in that world than it is for us. Right. And so we don't even, I think, comprehend exactly what went into their decision-making or the sacrifice that they knew they were making for the hope of a payout at the end, Mm -hmm. which did not come to fruition. And again, against the backdrop of that failing to happen uh, are these conditions, these harsh working conditions, uh, whether it be because of the the weather or uh, because of um, the the danger that's involved. And then you're talking at their, you know, in their quarters, they're receiving rotten food and, incredibly hot and uh, they're getting sick they're around a ton of people constantly in the middle of a of a pandemic age Mm -hmm. there are a lot of factors that are playing in that create in those circumstances what for many could be a just an absolutely miserable uh and and critical circumstance there's a there's a kind of a work system there called the Kafali system, K-A-F-A-L-A. It's a system that requires all migrant workers to have an in-country sponsor, usually their employer, who is responsible for their visa and legal status. So if you're to have a job, you have to have a sponsor, and that sponsor is your boss. Well, then who do you complain to when the working conditions are bad? And if you wanted to get a new job, you're... Your sponsor is your current employer, so the chances that you're going to be able to leave your job and get a new job, or then just say, "Well, no, we just fired you. You can go home, and you'll make any money." Like that's the that was the situation. So, you know, one of the issues with all the negative media attention, the Qatar did change their labor laws. Um, it's become the first country in the Arab Gulf region to allow all migrant workers to change jobs before the end of their contracts without first obtaining their employees employers consent. And one of the key aspects of the, the sponsorship system that can give rise to forced labor. So like there may have been a positive thing. And so here's, here's the issue that I wanted to maybe bring up to you is, um, and let me say this before I get into that. So FIFA will make off the world cup estimated $5.4 billion. Now they didn't host it. They didn't build the stadiums. I think they do some some marketing um, things that they spend money on, but they're taking home $5.4 billion. And that money then gets transferred to all the national teams and the players and things. So the players and the nations and all of them will make plenty and plenty of plenty of money. But the people who built the stadiums, some of them didn't make anything. It just shows you kind of the impact and the situation of a sporting event like the World Cup, that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I mean, if that, I think that's kind of the the sad thing about the whole thing. Estimation. And that's just, I think people get stacks and stacks of money, while the people who actually put sweat into building it didn't even get what they were promised. Which we're talking nine thousand dollars that, or some of them were, were being promised. So you know, you go back to like just the kind of the the, the world, the brokenness of our world, and where we are. But you know, um, I was going to ask you just like why, like, is it reasonable? that countries like Qatar shouldn't get the World Cup? I I mean, you could say yes for the simple fact that it's not on the 
world map in terms of soccer itself. Sure. Just but then you alone. can move beyond that right. to the, the human rights issues, uh, even to the geographical issues. Mm-hmm. The, the problems of putting a, an event like that in a place where there's no infrastructure for it mm-hmm. or where there's no uh, climate that's conducive to 90-minute soccer matches. Right. And I, I guess the other element here is 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 the human right issue. Like so, so an interesting going back to FIFA. So they gave the Olymp- they gave the World Cup in 2018 to Russia. So they're on a good, they're doing well. Highly suspect. And then the Winter Olympics. Let's like, let's get into the Olympic Committee. They gave it to China uh, for the Winter Olympics, which I don't even know China's known for its winter sports. I don't know of it as a great Alpine <laughs> nation. Uh, so that was a big surprise for me. But, you know, I wonder, you know, why do they keep on giving these events to these kind of these nations that have horrible human rights um, patterns and other issues that obviously get brought back up when they get these these events? Well, I think it's it, it probably can be boiled down to something as simple as greed. I mean, people will sacrifice their principles pretty quickly Mm -hmm. uh, if it's worth it to them. Right. And, you know, you can even think of that in terms of the, like the captaincy armbands at the beginning of the tournament. (laughs) These countries were, were so up in arms about the human rights issues in Qatar that they were willing to, uh, you know, put their careers, put their whatever on the line for the sake of wearing these bands against FIFA's regulations but as soon as they were told that it would impact their play, that they would be kicked out of the game, and then that could cause them to lose the World Cup, what they do? Did they say, no, this issue is worth it, or did they take the armbands off? They took them off. They took the armbands off. Um, yeah, so it, I was reading something interesting that was kind of making an argument why it, you know, defending giving the World Cup to Qatar. And and it made the point, well, if, if the expectation is every country that hosts an event like this has to be kind of perfect. The only countries that would get it would be like Finland, Norway, Switzerland, <laughs> Sweden, maybe some of the other European countries and mostly the Western countries. They, they, you would never have kind of a global, a global game that's hosted by other global countries. And sometimes the, the spotlight does kind of maybe help a country along on its progress, um, which maybe it did with Qatar with some of their new work laboring laws that they passed uh, before the world cup. Um, so it, it, it's kind of like we can't be in some ways in a fallen world. We can't be absolutist when it comes to the world cup. It's like, well, that country is bad. Therefore I'm going to protest the world cup or that country is bad. So I'm going to protest the Olympics. So if we did that, we probably would never watch any sporting events because they're, they're putting the, these events in a lot of other parts of the world that they didn't probably in the 1930s and 40s and 50s, right? As the world was just more open and more global and there's more nations connecting with other nations and especially when it comes to, to soccer. But so I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of as in conclusion, I always like to kind of bring the kind of gospel implications to news events and how do we think as Christians on you know events like the World Cup? How do I, should I watch the World Cup even though there's horrible human rights issues that are kind of brought before me in the news and on online and things like that. So again, this is a massive global event. And uh, I, w- I was listening to Tim Keller talk about cities and he says that cities present the best of the world, you know, because like, it's a concentration of so many people. You see the best of culture and some of the best of art 
when you have people living close together, but you also get the worst of the world in a city. And I think sometimes the World Cup is maybe a similar thing. Uh, you get the best of the world. You get the world coming together, playing soccer, and amazing athletes doing amazing things. You've got all the culture and the flags and colors being presented. And you have these stadiums that are beautiful and very interesting and stuff. But also you get the worst of the world. You have, you know, I, I'm going to assume like... Uh, Sex trafficking is probably horrific during World Cups. Forced labor, migrant workers, all these type of issues that we've been talking about, they pop up in these big events. So what are some, in your mind, what are some gospel implications to the World Cup? Like, what, how should we think missionally about events like this? Well, I can't even think back to the genesis of my interest in soccer. It really was because of travel to a foreign country, where soccer was appreciated. And mm-hmm. I got to play soccer with all of these Latin Americans, and it became really quickly a way to bridge a culture gap, oh, yeah. to bridge a language gap. Mm-hmm. And that is what enabled me in that time and also the others that w- were on our team to develop quick, deep, and lasting bonds that then afforded like the good soil to be able to have go- gospel conversations uh, with these people in Costa Rica. Mm. And so I became interested. I mean, I, I've always loved sports, but I became interested in soccer particularly uh, because of the ministry opportunity that I saw it as. Yeah. So if the rest of the world is interested in something, then I felt like it, it would probably do me well or do Christianity well to at least be engaged at some level in this thing that the rest of the world is interested in. And so, in you know, I've seen that play out in many other ways where you, you can go to a foreign country and, uh, you know, as you're trying to minister in the context of cross-cultural missions or even here just in the city around people that you know here in, in Memphis that enjoy soccer. And it's one simple way to get into conversation quickly with people uh, to tear down some, you know, personal barriers or walls mm-hmm. that they may have put up uh, that can then enable such good and rich gospel conversations. And so that, that's where my interest in soccer even began. And so I think for, for all of us, there is a, an opportunity to be interested in something like that for the sake of uh, it being a bridge to gospel conversations with people around the world. Uh, but, you know, I also think just in terms of the nations that are represented on that small peninsula in Qatar right now, I mean, you've got the world that has descended upon mm-hmm. uh, this small country. You know, I think it's a constant reminder to us that there is a whole other world out there. If you if you've never traveled beyond the the borders of the U.S. or even you know your state or far beyond your city, you can kind of forget that there is a world out there that is very different than the world within which you were raised. So here in the southern U.S., it's very common to see a church on every street corner mm-hmm. and to have conversations with Christians every single day, to see Bibles in being sold in secular bookstores. You can begin to think that the rest of the world is like that, and so that access to the gospel is as available around the world as it is here, right. when that's just simply not the case. You have 2.4, I guess, 2.4 million people attended uh, group stage matches. 6.4 million people from around the world ascending to, as you said, a small peninsula. Uh, you know, obviously, in God's providence, conversations about Christ happened amongst those 2.4 million people. But like what other event does that, other than the Olympics, 
can you say that that many people ascended in one particular area at one time, you know, to, to go and watch something together? <laughs> I, you know, like, I think it's, I think it's, it's fascinating because there's not a lot of those, those opportunities and there's a common passion. You know, you talk about people from uh, Europe, from Asia, from Africa, from South America, from North America, speaking many different languages, coming to one place to do one thing that they love together. Like that's fast. That's what makes soccer probably one of the greatest sports in the world because it's such a simple sport of you kick a ball and a goal and you pass it to one another and you get the ball in the goal and you have in the, in the defense to try to stop you. Like you don't really have to present someone a 30 page book to teach someone how to play soccer. It has like a universal language, right? To it that other sports don't have. You try to explain to someone football, like American football. Have you ever done this? Yeah. It's, it's very impossible. <laughs> they're like completely like, they're looking at you like, like you're, you're basically presenting some kind of like, like rocket science formula to them. And, but soccer, you don't have to do that. Like it's a very simple sport. It's simple to watch. It's simple to, to, to watch with other people. And, and so it has this kind of unifying factor to it. And I mean, the day we think about, you know, revelation and the people, the, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands and millions and millions before the throne of Christ, worshiping him and claiming him as Lord and savior of their, of their lives. Like, like that's like even the World Cup gets a little bit of a shadow of something to, and from every nation and every tribe, as, right. as we see. It, mm. it is so cool to watch the matches, and you see people absolutely passionate about their country, their team. They're thrilled to be there, but it's people really from all over the world, all the nations there, worshiping a game. Worshiping. A game. You think about how cool it is to see the the nations, all of the people that the Lord created, gathered together. But ultimately, they're worshiping a game, thinking mm-hmm. about them at the end of days, gathered together as the people of God, worshiping their Creator and their Redeemer. Yeah, that that it's a, it provides a small glimpse it into does. what that will be like. But uh, yeah, it's really cool. It's a little bit about. of a reversal of the Tower of Babel, yeah. a little bit. That that in a small little little bite, you know, you don't really have to speak Spanish, but for a Spaniard and a and a Chinese person to sit and watch soccer game together. Like right. you don't really need to know the same language and you know, who's good. And you know who the heroes are and you know, what is an amazing like feat like, and you can, so there's a certain like power in that commonality. There's not a lot of things in our world that have a lot of that shared commonality and, Soccer is one of those. It's one of those things. Four billion, three billion people watching it. There's a, that's, that's a lot of unity there. Right. And that's even, you know, you think of the people who are watching it in person, but you also think about the people who are watching it in watch parties around the world. Oh yeah. You know, like when my wife and I lived in South America, we did this Mm because it was during the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. Mm -hmm. So we're in South America, not Brazil, but still like they view themselves as, as one unit. And so- we had watch parties for the people on our street. Um, there was a, I remember a Haitian guy there, obviously all of the, the, uh, the Ecuadorian people that we'd connected with, just an opportunity to invite them into relationships, spend time watching the game, but using that as a launch pad for gospel conversations. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's too simple of a tool to not use. Right. Yeah. I mean, going back to the, the first major sermon ever in the history of Christianity is Peter preaching at the day of Pentecost, the people came and gathered to come to an event. It was, a, it was a religious holiday, but they came to a particular place in a particular time. And 
Peter had the opportunity to then preach to thousands because they all gathered. Like we can't ignore that they, it's not like Peter went out and gathered them himself. They came, he preached, they took responded. advantage of an opportunity. Exactly. And so I think as Christians, if the world's going to come together to watch soccer, then we should probably join them and, and take advantage of the opportunity um, as, as God is providing that. And, and, and at the same time, speak about the evils that are going on in, in our world. And again, I think, I, think it, I think it's a proper thing to say, like I said about cities. At a World Cup, you see the best and the worst. I think that's a proper thing. And same with the Olympics, same with the Super Bowl. You see the best and the worst sometimes when you get a concentration of sinners in one place with greed and jealousy and, and hopes and the wrong things happening. Um, you see a lot of sin that happens, but you also see a lot of, of image bearers of Godness coming out as well, right? I think that you see that in the World Cup. I think that's fair to say. Now, let me ask you as we, as we close, greatest favorite World Cup moment that you can remember. It doesn't have to be from this particular World Cup. If that's easier for you to remember, that's fine. Um, favorite World Cup moment. Favorite? I've, can I give you two? Sure. Yeah. The first one that popped in my mind is not my favorite World Cup moment, but it is a funny one because it was almost repeated this year. So this was, uh, I believe it was 2010. I think it was 2010. It was Uruguay and Ghana. Oh, you wow. know this story? So it was coming down to the wire that the I believe the score was tied and and Ghana was attacking in the box shot the the ball was going past the keeper but one of their strikers was defending in the net with the keeper Uh-oh. and used his hands to knock it out uh knowing then a penalty would be given Right, but also knowing, well, if I didn't do that, that ball was going in. So right. now we give our keeper a chance to block the penalty, right, and then advance in the tournament, right. And uh, this guy's name was Luis Suarez. It was a brilliant strategy. He got an immediate red card, kicked out of the game. Yeah, but uh, uh, kicked out of the game. He's on his way back to the tunnel and watching as this Ghana player takes his penalty and skies it over the crossbar. Oh. And the entire stadium erupts. Suarez, instead of like going back into the the tunnel, just runs out. The game's and of course, over. Celebrating yeah. game, games over, and Uruguay moves on because of a handball. Wow, which was a wild moment. Not my favorite moment, but just an absolutely wild moment. That is a wild one. Uh, one of my favorite moments, I think, probably my favorite moment from this World Cup, uh, occurred in the second game, Argentina's second group stage game. Mm-hmm. So in the first game, they were playing against Saudi Arabia, and FIFA, again, bro- breaks out a new uh, system for determining offsides, oh, uh, which has me been pretty controversial. Yeah, and, uh, and so there was one of Argentina's goals that was called back for offsides, which in retrospect was not offsides. It was onsides by about five feet. Uh, so it should have they should have tied Saudi Arabia, but instead they lost two to one. Which Saudi Arabia was ranked fifty something, <laughs> and Argentina ranked number three. Yeah, it should not have have lost. But at the same time, that's not to take away from Saudi Arabia. They had a brilliant strategy and executed it well. Uh, but they lost, and so this is Messi's final World Cup, and everybody's looking at it as his. Mm. And they just won the the Copa America. They beat Brazil in the Copa America. Beat Italy. In the Euro Cup champion, uh, where the Euro Cup champion and the, the uh, Copa America champion face. And so it, it's been building up to this moment where this is his to win it. It's Argentina's to win it. And they lose their first group stage against Saudi Arabia. And they haven't lost yet. Have they? And they had not, they, that broke their winning streak 
of 36 matches or their unbeaten streak of 36 matches. They were one match away uh, from tying and then later breaking the world record for the longest unbeaten streak. Wow. All building up and they lost to Saudi Arabia. And so now here they are with a, with a loss in the group stage and only two more games to get enough points to move on. And uh, their next game was against Mexico and the next one against Poland. And so those are two tough teams, tougher than Saudi Arabia. And in the match against Mexico, uh, it was a very tough match. Mexico was playing very well. And then there was this uh, moment of brilliance where Di Maria, one of the wingers for Argentina, passes it to the middle to uh, Messi, who's outside of the box, very far away from the goal, and uh, smacks a a low ball straight into the right corner of the net on the ground. And the and Mexico's keeper, it was just barely out of his reach. And the entire stadium, really the entire world erupted at that goal because they knew what it meant. That was, there's still hope alive for Argentina to move on. And uh, that seems to be to this point, what has uh, put life in them to carry them through into the, you know, the knockout stage, then through the round of 16 to the quarterfinal. So that was probably my favorite moment in this tournament because of what it meant for Argentina and Messi's career. Wow. So I, I don't, again, I don't watch a lot of soccer. And so the only thing I can remember, and it wasn't a good moment. It was just like when it was like, you know, Oh my, Oh my goodness. Kind of moment. I don't know if you remember, it was a few world cups ago. I don't think it was the Brazil one. It was the one before that, but do you remember when the U S was playing Portugal and they were winning and at the last, like last, like few seconds of the game, Ronaldo like ran like I mean he's super fast. He was running and he 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 crossed it, and then they headed in like the last second and they ended up tying. Do you remember this game? I do it's not. Like remember three that game. to three or something like that. And it, it, for me, it's like oh my goodness, the U.S. just going to beat Portugal. Like and, and it was like group stage, I think is what it was. And and all of a sudden Ronaldo like just takes over and beautiful cross hits the guy right in the head and it goes right in the goal and the game's like over. Like just like that, it was the end, and that's the only. It was that. That was like that's soccer for you. Like you have a game, like ah, oh, it's kind of boring, uh, and then all of a sudden it could end up being like the most dramatic moment out of out of the blue, spontaneously. So, um, well, that's cool. You the way you explained that was so so detailed and great. Like, and uh, you could tell like your love for soccer and how much you enjoy watching it. Um, I'm just not. This is not my sport. And I think it's because I didn't play it probably is one of the bigger issues. And so we'll see if I can convert you. Yeah. Yo. Uh, well, thanks for joining. Thanks for talking thanks about the world cup. And, uh, that's was very, hopefully people in the Memphis area who don't probably watch a lot of soccer, um, can understand that there's more to it. Soccer than just putting a ball on the goal and being different than football. Um, and so, uh, I'll be back. Hopefully actually I have a new episode. will come out again. Uh, this one will come out this week. And then I have another one. will come out next week. And maybe we'll have one more before the end of the end of the year. So have a wonderful, a wonderful week. Enjoy the soccer matches, and uh, we'll see you again. This has been uh, a pastor's newspaper, and continue to read the news with the Bible in your hand. <laughs>